Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. Today I have with me Justin Christensen, the co-founder and president of Conversion Fanatics. His company helps other businesses with conversion rate optimization and traffic generation. Listen to him as he discusses the importance of conversion rate optimization for businesses. In the episode, he also talks about A-B testing and what you can expect from CRO in 2020. Well, cool. Let's jump into this. So, once can you have, you know, already sent over some of the questions and stuff. It's, like I said, pretty basic interviews. I didn't even look at them, but I usually don't. No worries. So. Like I said, it's not, you know, it's not, I'm not here to try to make you say anything funny. It's all the stuff that you guys currently do. I don't think there'll be any issues. So, I'm excited. I prefer going in blind anyway. So, nice. You're going, okay, there we go. I like that. I've done probably 300 podcast interviews. Really? Uh, so, you're at the 300 mark. I think I've done probably 40 or 50, and I was pretty proud of that. So, you're, you're jumping 300 mark, huh? There was a time, there was a time where I was doing like, 20 a month. Uh, let me just talk about that. Was that mainly for just thought leadership, like conversion, like client stuff, or what was the benefit for you? I and mean, what did you see out of that? I saw nothing out of it. <laughs> there we go. Um, I was using a booking company at the time and I was, it was when I first released my book mm. and I just went all in. It's like the more content, the better. Just wanted to educate people. And I wouldn't say nothing. We just, it's, we can't quantify it or put direct correlation to all of that effort. But I've definitely had people, it's kind of that multiple exposure angle. Yeah. I've had people come and say, hey, you know, I've seen you guys everywhere. I've heard of you guys before. And I've had people come to me and say, hey, yeah, I've heard you on a podcast. But it was just a lot of work. Yeah, that and then it's hard to find. For you guys, obviously, being optimization, it's like you want to find out, like, did it work, right? I mean, I've spent, whatever, 10 grand and, like, what did I get out of that? Other than some people saying they heard me, I get that. And I think overall, the, you know, you get the exposure side of things. But it's like, how does that, you know, for you, you want to, you want to know the numbers, right? I mean, that's really what mm-hmm. it comes down to. Like, that's great to say we have this, this happened. You're like, oh, that's awesome. But, like, how many people bought my book? Or how many, you know, how many more clients do we get because of that? So, and that's always a little more difficult to do, I would say, with podcasts. It is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, cool. I'm an open book, so ask me whatever. Sweet. This will be a good interview. I'm excited about this. So the goal today here, we're going to talk about how to improve your conversion optimization skills with obviously conversion fanatics, Prez, Justin. So here we are. Here we are today. So what I wanted to start off, and I, I do this on all the podcasts, is just kind of like, where did you grow up? Just kind of give us a little background on, on where you grew up and your family size, all the fun stuff. Oh, well, I'm the oldest of two kids. I've got a little sister. I grew up in actually rural North Dakota, of all places. Very small farming, ranching community of about 400 people. Just grew up heavy with the hard work ethic. Mm. Actually, value of a dollar, learned that very early on. Wouldn't say that I had everything growing up, but we had enough. Yeah. And that I went on later to actually go to become an electrician out of high school and quickly figured out I didn't want to do manual labor. <laughs> After like my 80th hour climbing a ladder yeah. one week didn't want to do that. So I had a side business doing some marketing and some stuff and just being an affiliate and just dinking around on the internet. And it was starting to actually pay pretty decent for me, at least at the time back yeah. then. Yeah, and, right. uh, kind of moved up the ranks through affiliate marketing and sold a company or grew a company partners that I was an affiliate for grew it uh, about 400, almost 500% in one year. And then um, sold it back to my business partners and, uh, and kind of went on this whole big, long optimization journey and founded what's now Conversion Fanatics. 
That's awesome. Now I have a question. So the affiliate side of things. So we, you know, on my side, I mean, we're getting about, we do about 160, 180 uniques a month right around there and traffic wise. Mm-hmm. So it's a good amount. We've built it up in the last year and a half. We, you know, usually did it for everybody else and didn't really do it for ourselves. And, you know, we're not bad at conversion stuff. We're not like your company by any means. With the affiliate side of things, we've actually wanted to jump into more affiliate stuff. Like, do you have any recommendations for anybody that maybe wants to jump in the affiliate things? I, I just know that I have a lot of articles that index well, you know, get a thousand anywhere from a thousand to 10,000 people a month. I mean, we really haven't optimized it from like opti- like for affiliate based stuff because we, we index mm-hmm. extremely well on Google for hundreds of different keywords. So I'm just curious, like, do you have any recommendations or is it like, because I, I guess really what I'm asking you is I'm looking for somebody down the road to like help us with the affiliate stuff because I really, once again, I know there's some stuff there. I'm not saying there's you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, but there could be some good residual stuff that's happening. And I get pitched, you know, 10 times a week on, hey, you should join our affiliate program because people will see the traffic and obviously want to jump on that. What I would do is probably get part of a network or something or become a publisher and that way you can get the best rates. They handle all of it. They'll handle the placement. They'll handle all of that. And you basically get paid on a cost per acquisition basis. There's a ton of them out there. Generally just depends on the type of content. Um, I've got some buddies too that do a lot of stuff in the affiliate side and they have a publishing network. So I can make some, you know, introductions line there too. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And I'd appreciate that. I, I just know that we're leaving money on the table and there can be some really oh, cool yeah. stuff. Right. And so I just look at these pages and I go, man, we really got to get into this, but you know how it is, man, you got 10,000 other things working on a course and working on a book and all the other fun stuff. It just, mm-hmm. you know, where do you spend your time? But I do feel like there's some good stuff there. Yeah. So any kind of introduction would be awesome there. So, so let's go back to your childhood. So like, tell us a little bit, like any interesting facts growing up, was there anything kind of crazy you like, I mean, other than you want to become an electrician and then after about 80 hours, you realize, God, there's gotta <laughs> be a better way. I'm actually a former rodeo bull rider. Ah, I think I remember hearing that. I read that. Okay, that's right. A bull. So how the like? I, I get it. So you were a little bit of a, of a country guy, and you bull riding, huh? Like, how was that? Um, just kind of what I did. I don't know. My dad was big into the rodeo world growing up, so I kind of just grew up around horses and and stuff. And you know, just started out young, like you know, sheep riding, mutton busting, riding calves, riding steers. And then started competitively, I think when I was like 13, just doing that and uh, rode for about eight, nine years, something like that. Got hurt really bad back when I was like 21, Uh 20 or 21. Yeah. And uh, got put in the hospital and kind of put an end to that. But yeah, I'd been on about 500 or so of them. One of the biggest things I guess from there just uh, really built my confidence um, and really helped me kind of just push through kind of the adversity of different struggles and different things. But yeah, really, really boosted my confidence from somebody that was kind of reserved and shy growing up and just kind of stayed in my own lane, really kind of brought me out of my shell at a, at a young age when you're climbing on animals that are, yeah. don't want you to be climbing yeah. on them kind of will help you do that. I, I've got a question for you. Did you, did you ever see the movie? God, who was it? Uh, was it seven seconds? I think it was a roadie. Eight seconds. Yeah. yeah eight seconds. Uh, with uh, Matthew Perry. Yeah. Did that. Now you got to tell me from a rodeo perspective. And I never, I don't think I never saw the movie, but did that movie, like when it came in, did it make you cringe? Did you go, you know, that's not what it's like. Or do you think he did a good job? No. Was it pretty good? I've probably seen that. I mean, it came out when I was in high school in the midst of my rodeo career. So, I mean, I'd probably seen that movie couple hundred times at least nice so you so it was a good movie like it kind of fit the lifestyle i mean if i was to watch it then i would this is kind of what it would be like right yeah i mean some of the graphical elements and reenactments of the actual bull rides and stuff were pretty cheesy yeah those in the know would know it yeah but those that wouldn't you'd never know 
That's awesome. Okay. I was just kind of curious about that. I don't know why that obviously that wasn't anything that I thought about asking, but the bull riding thing is that's awesome, man. That's kind of cool. 500. Yeah. So how'd you get hurt? Like, well, I mean, obviously I know how you got hurt. You know, the bull decided on one. Um, it was actually June 22nd, 2001. <laughs> wow. I remember the date. It was just at a, at a bull riding thing competition and uh bull stepped on me wrong. I landed underneath him mm. and uh, stepped on me. He didn't even have any horns. He wasn't a mean bull. He wasn't anything like that, that normal stereotypes are. Uh, stepped on me and uh, big laceration uh, down my leg and down my my hip and uh, went to the hospital, had surgery and spent about seven days in the hospital and went home and recovered for seven months. <laughs> oh God, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, it was uh, just kind of a freak accident. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. And it was the worst one that I'd ever had. I'd broken fingers and broken toes and had stitches and other things, but that was broke ribs. But other than that, it was pretty straight, you know. I love that. You're like, other than that, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, other than like cracking my face and breaking both my legs and then having my arm cut off. I mean, other than that, that. It, was, it was another Saturday. You know what I mean? It's, that's what you're we do. Safer on the, you're safer on their back than you are in front of them. I would, sure. I would imagine that. I would imagine that. I, I would much rather be on the back than staring one in the eyes and going, hey, man, like, let's just try to work this out somehow. Like, you know, let's not, let's not get violent. Yeah. And we are talking about this. So you're currently living in Austin. So how long have you been in Austin for? I moved here 2007. So what's that? 12? This is year 12? Yeah. 12. So yeah, we just celebrated 12 years. So it'll almost be 13. Actually, uh, May will be 13. That's awesome. That's awesome. And did you, where did, did you end up going to college or no? Yeah, I actually went to become an electrician when uh -huh. I went out of high school. Went to two years, got an associate degree in electrical technology, worked on a coal mine for a while, did some electrical stuff and didn't like it. <laughs> but I've always been pretty handy. So I uh, went there and I actually went back to a school uh, for a brief period of time when I was a touring musician. I've done a whole lot of stuff in my career. I love that. I was a touring musician and uh, went back to school, but then dropped out uh, about a semester and a half away from graduating because I was making more money as an electrician and just couldn't see myself doing what it is I was going to school for. So you said traveling musician. So what did you play? In that band, I played bass and sang. So yeah, we were one of the top club bands kind of in the Midwest. Played uh, three to five nights a week, various bars and fairs and casinos and all sorts of stuff. The whole thing out there touring, huh? That's funny, man. Yeah. You, you, I love it, man. Every once in a while you get a guest that's just like, like how old are you if I can ask you? I uh, just turned 39. Okay. So you're, you're sneaking up in your, I'm, I'm 44. So it's funny when I talk to people, like they'll say, well, you know, we talk about like what I've done or like things, you know, and I forget stuff. Like, I'm like, oh, I did this, 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 and this. And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I forgot. Oh yeah. And I teach at UCLA. And they're like, how do you forget that you taught at UCLA? And I'm like, well, just cause like in the midst of everything, like, you know, it's like, there's like yeah. so much stuff. And I, I try to put it like Shane 1.0 is like, oh, this was my hospitality years. This was 16 to whatever, 25. And then yeah. like try to break it up for people. Cause I mean, it's just, you know, when you get into those older, older ages, you know, older ages, I mean, we're, you know, sneaking, you're sneaking up on your forties. You're not old by any means, but it's just crazy. Like the, you know, you're like, oh yeah. And I was at least two rows and a band and then, oh, hey, I used to ride bulls and hey I built a helicopter when I was seven years old you're like oh I kind of forgot about some of this stuff you know it's like you yeah. look at all the different things it's kind of cool when you you, you talk about them you're like oh I kind of forgot about that that was fun yeah and I mean I look back it was 20 years ago I graduated high school and you're like what the heck isn't that crazy like, where did that come I always joke around about this. So I, you know, I have 25 years of experience in the digital space. And the reason why I bring that up is, and I've talked about this before in the podcast where, you know, my wife one time was walking by and I was telling somebody, I was like, oh, I've been in, you know, doing digital marketing for 15 years. And so I was all done and I walked out. My wife's like, why are you lying to people? And I said, what are you talking about? What are you lying to people? I didn't lie to anybody. She goes, you've been doing this for like, like do you, how old are you? And I'm like, I'm like 44. She goes, when did you start? And I was like, I think I was like 17. She goes, or 18. She goes, well, you do the math. And I'm like, well, I'm not good at math. I'm better at, I'm better at marketing, you know? And so I did the numbers and I was like, 
oh, geez, okay, 25 years. I, I guess I'm like, the, you know, I was doing this marketing thing before the internet was around, not really. But, you know, I mean, it feels like that. Yeah. It's like kind of crazy. It's like God, time just flies, man. Yeah, I did the same thing. I think about it. I'm like, I started like 2001, 2002-ish. So what, 19 years, 17 years? I don't even know. And, you know, I know I went full-time in 2005, right before I got married. But yeah, it was like even looking at that, that's 14 years. That's crazy, man. Like I, I don't know that. And I remember thinking this isn't, this has nothing to do with marketing. I remember thinking as a youngster, like people that were 40, I was like, God, they're almost dead. Like I remember thinking of like when, yeah. when people said 40, I was like, Ooh, God, they're not going to make it. You know, that's we got to, yeah, we got to go talk to uncle Larry cause he's not going to be around too much longer, you know? And now you're like, <laughs> I'm like 44 and I'm like, yeah, oh, I feel, you know, pretty healthy. And you know, I've got a few things back. got hurt from some stuff from CrossFit and legs numb from running and, you know, but other than that, you know, not quite, I'm not breaking and I have a bull attack me or anything like that or you know i didn't ride 500 <laughs> bulls by any means but i don't know man it's just kind of interesting like just when you get to that certain age but so how did you jump into the marketing space i mean obviously you're like electrical engineer you're doing this kind of stuff making some kind of money side of money on affiliate stuff and then you jumped into the marketing world like how did how was that transition yeah actually i started out in network marketing and figured out that i did not like bumping into people and asking them if they wanted to make some extra money. Mm. So I turned to the internet and I found lead jam and some tricks and tactics. And back then, obviously it was, you know, we're talking 2003, 2004. So, I mean, that's, that's wild west. Yeah. There's no, there's nobody talking about that. Like there's nobody writing on their blog about how to be successful. Like at the end of the day, it's like, you got to go figure that out. Yeah. And I mean, we were just back when growth hacking wasn't a thing, we were growth hacking. Yeah. You know, just trying different things and seeing what's stuck. And luck, fortunate enough, we got to try a lot of stuff without having to like work the system and, you know, the slaps and all of the things that Google and Facebook and obviously Facebook didn't exist. So we just figured out lead generation online. And then I quickly kind of moved up the ranks to number one affiliate in a company. He wanted to expand. So I partnered with him. We grew the company. I uh, was with him for about three years or so. And then I sold it back to them. It was just my time to leave. And uh, because of the, some of the information that I published there, it was an information training company and uh, published a bunch of case studies and split tests. And I've been split testing and doing optimization since before there was software to do it, you know, splitting AdWords ads and, you know, running yeah. different articles and all of those, you know, kind of crude ways that you could do it back then. Yeah. Published some information and people just asked me, what am I going to do next? And what can I do for the implementation? And I've always been just kind of the get stuff done guy mm -hmm. and uh, did the implementation and setting up landing pages and doing all that. So I kind of went that route and uh, set up some campaigns and stuff for some clients. Partner with my longtime friend uh, who was one of the first people that I actually met here when I moved to Austin. He was doing something similar, but he's very systems and processes and people kind of oriented. So nice. like, like let's set up that kind of stuff. And I'm very much the opposite. I'm very much just go break stuff and uh, see what happens from there. And he puts kind of the method to the madness. So yeah, we started that with kind of an idea and we were going to teach conversion optimization first because we both came from a direct response kind of uh, information background mm -hmm. and found out that nobody wanted to learn it. <laughs> they just wanted us <laughs> to, to do, do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we started just us, hired one other person, had an outsourced developer uh, or source designer. We were doing all the implementation and uh, expanded and just kept growing and growing and growing. And here we are, 20 plus people on payroll and a big office with the name on the building. and All the fun stuff. I even like the name. I mean, Conversion Fanatics is like, I mean, it doesn't get, I know you guys probably got that domain name a long, long time ago, but that's an uh, awesome no. name. I mean, six and a half, seven years ago. Really, all. really, really, really. What was funny is uh, my business partner, the name was weird. I was kind of operating under my other company, nothing fancy, no like brandable kind yeah. of name. It was just the Justin show really. 
and um, Manish, my business partner, sponsored an event, and he needed a name to be more memorable. So he bought the domain name Conversion Fanatics and put up a basic one-page website. Literally, if you go way back machine, you'll see it. Yeah. It's him, his sister, and I think one other team member <laughs> that he had, like one other outsourcer that he used to sponsor this event. Yeah. And when we were bouncing around ideas, I had the domain name Biz Growers that I was kind of toying with and doing some SEO stuff with. And he had Conversion Fanatics and we just... We started out and like, well, okay, well, I guess that's going to be it. He already had the logo. He already had everything. So we didn't need to like go back and forth, debate, do any of that stuff. He already had it. So yeah. we just expanded on what it is. Dude, I used to buy tons of domain names and, and, and I'd love to tell you that I sold them for millions of dollars, which I never did. My wife was always like, why do you have like 500 domain names? And I'm like, cause I'm going to develop them or sell them. And so anyways, each year we'd have that conversation after I'm spending five grand a year on just domain names. So I'm always a, you know, always like to find when you find a good domain name or when I see somebody with a good domain name, I like to give them kudos. Cause it's, I know it's not easy to do. So it's uh, that's awesome. I like, no. I like that name for sure. I think we got lucky. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a good one. That's a good one. So what would you say? I mean, obviously you guys work with a lot of like high-end clients and stuff. Like when it comes to boosting like a client's conversion rate, what are the things? I mean, they're like there's certain things you guys look at. I mean, other than obviously traffic. I mean, there's some things we looked at in your site and some basics that people have to have is like, you know, at least 30,000 in traffic a month. Or they're going to have at least what, 300 leads. I mean, there's some, you know, at least a million dollars in revenue, that kind of things. And obviously the no asshole policy, which I think is the most <laughs> important part of the policies. But like, are there certain like, what do you guys look at in regards to conversions and stuff? Other than that, what would be the first thing if you were to look at a potential client? What are the things you look at? I look, well, I'm, I see so many companies. So it's, I really just kind of know what to look for. Mm. And usually I give it the five second rule. Yeah. So I'll load a website and I'll look at it and then I'll immediately ask myself the question, okay, what does this site do? And if I can't answer that question, we've got a serious problem. Mm. So I want to make it. And when I look at it from a conversion perspective, I want to make it as seamless and streamlined as possible to get from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. So I always have the saying that we want to hold the visitor down by the hand down the path of least resistance to the end goal. And I just go through that. So I'll take a quick browse. I'll land on their homepage. I'll see, okay, here's, do I know exactly what they do? What their USP is? Do I see a clear call to action? Do I see products available for sale on that homepage? And we're talking e-commerce here. Yeah. So typical, you know, like Shopify environment, you know, do they have products available? Is that clear and concise? And then what does the rest of that journey look like to the checkout page and even beyond depending on where we're at and what type of platform they're on. So I just take the quick glance through it and see what friction points jump out to me. Is it very clear to me where I'm supposed to go and how I'm supposed to get there? Taking kind of any bias aside, because I see so many companies, we've tested so many things that I just pay attention to the kind of that user journey. And then obviously it has to be a product that is not, I, we kind of steer clear of the drop shippers and I can tell very quickly if it's a site that's just some um, AliExpress yeah. kind of cheap China drop ship stuff that you're going to get in, won't get delivered to your door for 30 days. So we just pay attention to kind of that. It has to be a product that we believe in yeah. that has a very big need in the market and has some growth potential in there. But other than that, I don't really look. I just, we focus so much on the UI UX side of things yeah. and understanding that, I mean, I could talk ideas all day long and look at a website and come up with 200 things to test. But until we start gathering data and actually start looking at it from a both qualitative and a quantitative perspective, is when we really start flushing out some of the details because what you or I think at the end of the day isn't gonna really matter. It's what the visitors interact with the most, what they pay attention to, what they ignore, where they're falling off in that process, what holds the most weight in their eyes that we can then build a list of 
tests and actually use that to inform future tests because it isn't as simple as just making a list of 200 ideas and then just going down the list. You're not learning anything and expanding on anything and evolving your marketing message with that. Well, I think that's what's awesome is what you touched on is that really, and this is, I think, difficult for a lot of people to understand it. It's not what you like, right? It's what your customer likes. And what I mean by that is we get that from like an SEO perspective, like people will be like, well, these are the keywords. And I'm like, yeah, but if nobody's looking for that keyword, who cares? Like you yeah. think that you should have a green button here or whatever it is. I say green button because that's not you know the number one thing that people yeah. are looking for, but there's something that you think. And at the end of the day, it's who cares what you think? It's what the customer thinks. And it's that the customer, their journey and how they go down it and look from their perspective. I think that that's one of the most difficult parts, right? Is people don't think about it from you go and you look at a website and if there's 15 different things you have to do to get to the checkout page, well, that's a problem, right? That's obviously, it's you have the more things in the middle of this thing that's going to make it so that you can't convert, you're going to have a drop off of 5% here and 7% here and 8% here. And then by the end, you have 1% of the people that can actually get to the end. Yeah. I mean, I had a website the other day that had 98% drop off by the time they got there. By the time they got to the cart, by the time they got to the cart, we're not even talking checkout. Not even buying. We had another 70% abandoned cart. So they put 100,000 people on top of the funnel and you have like six come out the other side. It's crazy. So yeah, I mean, I see a lot of people do that. We'll get companies that come to us and be like, yeah, we need some conversion help. It's like, yeah, we're ready to get started. But first we're going to redesign our website. Like, holy smokes, you guys need to back it up. And then they come to us in three months and say, hey, why is my website not converting? It's like, did you base any other redesign on any data whatsoever? Or did your marketing guy say that it looked better? Chances are they just said it looked better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we want to refresh our brand. It's like, well, nobody cares. Yeah, <laughs> about yeah. That. And I think that's what's interesting is that it really, you know, and most people don't base it off of the data, right? They just base it off of feelings, of emotions. And this is what I think, this is what I've read or whatever. And it's like, at the end of the day, who cares about any of that? Like, it really comes down to like, what's going to convert. And I think people, you know, get the idea of A-B testing, but I don't think they really understand what goes into that. Like, I mean, the amount of work that goes into that, like it's extreme. I mean, obviously if you A-B test enough, mute it down to you have a working funnel, like life is phenomenal. But to get to that point, it just, it's a lot of time. I mean, people have their, what most people put, don't put up websites with intent. We don't know what I mean. The same, it's like they put websites up just because they, they want to, they need to put a website up. It's informational, mm -hmm. but they don't really think about that journey or they don't think about keywords. Or they don't think about any of that stuff. And so that's when I think when you, and that's where, you know, like once again, when you guys said, Hey, we love our clients, but we're very picky. I think you guys are at an awesome point where it gets to that, where you just look at it and you go, well, this is going to be a good fit. You'll know instantly or note, this isn't going to be a good fit because they have a good budget, but we're going to redo, redo everything. Like this is not even like, this is like, they're going to think this thing is awesome and they're 80% there. And we're looking at it going, you guys are like 5% there, if that. Yeah. And what people think too is they don't look at conversion rate optimization and A-B testing as two separate things. They think that you can just go out and A-B test and that is conversion optimization. That's not conversion optimization. Conversion optimization is the holistic picture of things, of how the visitors behave, what they're telling you, what they like, what they dislike. A-B testing is only the vehicle that we use to prove or disprove the assumption that we have. Yeah. So that's just the vehicle we use to measure whether we're right or not and, and by how much. And people just think, oh, yeah, if we just tested this orange button versus green button, we're going to be better <laughs> off instead of saying, why are we testing that orange button? Well, it's because it's more accessible on the page and it's going to draw more attention to the call to action, which in turn increase the click-through rate and whatever that hypothesis is and really answering the question why we're doing something. And that's where people get hung up. They think they come to me and say, hey, Justin, you're the conversion expert. So you can fix me in 30 days, right? It's like, well, no, it's, it's never ending. It's, it's exponential magic. growth. It's, yeah. it's scalability. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm good, but I'm not that good. 
And it's the scalability and the exponential growth and in the long-term evolution, because there's things that conversion optimization impacts that is more than just the conversion rate. Yeah. Because that could stay exactly the same. And we'd be testing and getting wins and evolving and everything. But at the end, by the time we come out, you've got 60, 70% more revenue that's coming through the door or more profitability. You know, we've had companies come to us and say, hey, you, you reduced our support tickets by 20% on the weekends because you answered this one question. It's like, great. So we saved them a bunch of money on support and made happy customers. And then that impacts lifetime value and yeah. all of these things that we can't quantify from making it easier for people to identify and connect with us and then in turn do more business with us. It isn't as black and white as that, oh, I changed the headline. So now I've got 15% more. Yeah sales conversions. I don't think they realize all the moving pieces and, and they all tie in together and they're and the, as soon as you tweak one thing, it can affect another thing, right? So it's that optimization that's ongoing. It, it, they, we, we deal with a little bit with SEO as well because it's people go, well, once I get number one for these keywords and I should be good. And yes, you, yeah. you, you can stay in that number one spot, but it's like, you want to continue to grow that. You want to, cause there's going to be somebody else that's going to come and try to take that number one spot or number two, number three spot. Same with optimization. This thing is constantly evolving, right? And yeah. then, buying habits change, you know, decisions change. I mean, your audience changes, mediums change. Seasonal. I mean, it can be right. I mean, there's Google wakes up on in the bad mood one day and you lose half your rankings. Yeah. Facebook the same. You just never know. So you have to constantly be evolving and changing. And I learned that, I mean, luckily fortunate enough to learn that way early on in my career that you have to constantly be striving for better. I mean, yeah. I've ran a whole lot of split tests for a whole lot of companies and made them a whole lot of more money, but I've never yet reached a hundred percent conversion rate. So for that, I keep trying. Yeah. There's you always know, that I next just level. Keep striving to beat my high score from yesterday. And if we just keep doing that and what's best for our clients and help them better connect with their audience, the sky's the limit. Yeah, you for know, sure. We've had clients grow 300% in revenue in a year. You know, we're not talking small numbers to start with, you know, million plus and grow to three, four, five million in one year, all thanks to optimization. And it wasn't all us, of course, but we've done some pretty big things all because we're able to, you know, better connect with our audience your clients audiences do you guys have any of your own websites like your own like e-commerce type stuff i mean do you guys mainly work with e-commerce businesses let me ask you that first uh, e-com SaaS, some b2b type uh lead gen stuff but i would say it's probably 95 percent b2c e-commerce shopify-esque type magento big commerce that kind of stuff and then do you guys have any of your own sites any of your own e-commerce sites that you guys currently run yeah, we have one that we actually just invested in um, about two months ago. Nice. Well, you know, it's because you know, the reason I'm asking that, because, you know, for me, I always look at this and we, you know, do this for clients and we do SEO and everything's great. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, we want to stop doing this. And I go, God, man. And so, you know, you got to a point where I was like, why don't I just start building my own sites? And I know what I can do from an SEO perspective, get those indexed for them, sell leads or do whatever that is. But, you know, I think it comes down to like, you help all these other companies with conversion-based stuff and you're great at doing that. And then there's a certain point it's like, you know, maybe I need to do this for myself as well, right? You know, start building that e-commerce side. And I know I've talked about doing more e-commerce stuff or doing something like that, but I think in regards to what you guys do, I mean, I can get somebody number one for any keyword, obviously, depending on budget and how competitive it is yeah. and all the fun stuff. But I think for you guys, I mean, that's, it's kind of cool. That you guys are now taking on kind of a side project and doing your own stuff. Well, we'd always kind of talked about that from the beginning, yeah. but we didn't obviously know that coming from a direct to consumer, high volume, instant gratification, instant feedback type, environment for so many years and then jumping into owning an agency now. Yeah. Completely different. different. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. You do something today and we might not see it for a year. Yeah. 
you know, like very much like SEO. Yeah. You know, you build and build and build and six, eight, nine, ten months later, you might see, oh, hey, we're moving up in SERPs now. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. But it's the same thing now. So we had started a couple companies. We're not very good at starting from scratch. So it's a lot of, obviously that's a lot of legwork that you have to go through to, you know, find a product, research a product, source a product, you know, build the assets, find the audience, yeah. do all of that startup kind of stuff. We had went down that road a couple times and um, a couple things derailed us. Um, we were going through a potential merger at the time that kind of derailed us. So we had to put that project on the back burner and ended up just closing it. And then we decided just recently that, you know, let's just find good quality products with a good audience and a starting point that we can come in and uh, just do what we do best at. And that's, you know, really grow it. And about a month and a half ago, we started with the company, struck a deal and took over marketing, took over some of the operations stuff and are now growing it. And we'll see what happens. But so far, we're getting it back to where it used to be, at least so far. So how did that work? So it's funny, the reason I'm asking is, so one of my big things, probably 2021, I think is I really want to buy bits and buy some businesses, right? So like mm -hmm. online businesses where I look at it and go, okay, they're doing this right, but God, they could double and triple it. Like why go in and offer my services and said, I can just offer the partnership. Is that kind of what you guys did in this situation? Kind of. We had to come out with a little bit of cash. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't much, but in the grand scheme of things, but it was our real, really our first one, mm -hmm. but this actually fell in our lap. They called us in a panic. And happened to be local, showed up, did a one-on-one -on -one in our office one day, and we just kind of locked ourselves in the conference room. And just the more I got looking at it, the more I saw the potential with it, you know, saw the potential there. So we um, partnered up and are taking it over. It's, it's got some, some a ways to go to get it to where we need to be. But Black Friday, Cyber Monday should pull us out of the, out of the kind of the hole and really get us set up for a great next year. And we're just trying to get there. Everything, you know, traffic and everything sorted and organized, but we've been able to steadily increase it, you know, as far as conversion, I'm looking today, you know, conversions up 52% from over yesterday, revenues up 70% through the day, but this time of year is absolute terrible gauge of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of any <laughs> rational buying behavior. Yeah. yeah. All the crazies come out in, in a good way. Yeah. Well, that's cool. If, I mean, if you want to let us know the companies you either can or not, if, if so, we'll put it in the show notes as well. If you guys want to. Yeah. I'd prefer not to say it right now. Yeah. But, no worries. Um, no worries at all. We're just looking to do that. And we're actually in talks with a couple other ones too. So we're just going to take our expertise and kind of our solutions and stuff and, and expand it that way. And my business partner just kind of taking it over and we're going to eventually build an, an actual team for operations around all of that kind of a parent company. Yeah. That's kind of the direction we're going because we're kind of tired of making our clients so much money. Dude, I'm <laughs> telling you, that's, that's why I was asking you. That's why that question came up because for me, I look at it and I go, man, we're doing all this good stuff. And it's like, you know what? I'm just going to go, I'm literally like empire flippers as an example. I've been listening to their podcasts and I'm, I'm going to start looking at these businesses and great. You want 40,000 for your business. I know that I can double and triple that. I'll come in and buy your business. And I'm looking Looking at that, I'm even tempted to like put something on my website saying, hey, people, I'll buy your business. And of course, you know, I don't necessarily want to, you know, 10,000 inquiries on, you know, you want to buy my drop shipping business out of China. But, you know, I mean, like the right type of thing could make sense. So I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued by that because as you talked about, I mean, it can take you six months, eight months, a year to get a business up and going. And I'm like, I would much rather spend whatever that 30, 40, 50,000 just to buy the business and either move them out of the way or whatever, partner up or whatever that may be. And then let us do our work because I find that a lot of the times with clients and, you know, God bless my clients and they, they're all awesome for the most part. It's like, you know, you get to a point where you're trying to, you know, tell them what to do and they're like, oh, we want to do it a little differently. And it's like, 
okay, but you hired me though, right? Like I want to make sure we're yeah. on the same page. Like if you know what to do, then why are you asking me? And you wouldn't be asking me if you knew what to do. Like, like, let's just be honest, right? Like, I don't want to be rude, but there's this thing called like, you know, I understand how to do this. And so if you don't want to believe and implement what I'm saying, then what's the point? Like, why are we going to move forward? So that's kind of like, and that's where I know you said, you know, kind of picky about your clients. We're the same way. Like, I want people that get it. Like, Hey, listen, I'm, I understand that I'm going to have to let someone give you the reins for the most part, right? You can improve some uh -huh. stuff, but at the end of the day, like, let us do our thing. And, you know, I can show you plenty of case studies and things that we've done for things we've been successful, but you got to let it the reins a little bit. If you're just going to like micromanage this and make it so the approval process is terrible, then it's, then why move forward? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing with this company that we just partnered on is we just said, you're good at making a product and you're good at connecting with the audience. You built that audience. He's asking us, like, what should I do for video? I'm like, do you, man, you built yeah. an audience of, you know, 50,000 plus people on your own. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> so yeah. If I step in, I'm going to screw it up. Yeah. So let us just do the marketing side and we completely overhauled the website, completely did a bunch of other stuff, asked a bunch of qualitative stuff and fixed the traffic side of things and kind of got everything sorted and organized and, you know, went from spending like a hundred bucks a day. Now, I think yesterday we spent like 700 bucks on Facebook ads. So we're kind of inching it up there. Yeah, yeah and, for sure. And getting back to where it needs to it's, be. and It's just divide and conquer. I mean, really, if that's what you guys are good at and you guys suck at marketing, guess what? Find a marketing company because it makes sense. I mean, people are worried about, well, then it's a 50-50 this. I'm like, what is 100% of what you're currently making? Like, really, yeah. let's right do the math on that. Listen, I get you're giving up 50%, but where are you at currently? I mean, you're obviously not doing phenomenal. We wouldn't be talking about this. If you were making all kinds of money, you'd be, you know, you'd hire somebody to count it. You'd be on the golf course. Like, you're a little stressed out yeah. about something here. Like, we do that well. You do this well. Why not talk about, you know, some kind of a merger? So, that's awesome. I know yeah. we can't talk about it now, but maybe down the road, you have to give us an update on that. I'd love to, anything I can do to help you out with that as well, man. I love, love seeing that kind of stuff go. So, yeah, it's been fun. It's actually brought some life back into me loving this business again. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you get in the day-to-day -day grind of, you know, agency work and, you know, we work with 40 plus companies and when you're doing the same thing over and over yeah. and over again, it's, you kind of lose your creative edge and yeah. that brought it back for us. And um, it's been exciting, kind of frustrating and exciting at the same time, but yeah. we've been having fun with it. That's for sure. Yeah. And that's the deal. I mean, I think that is important because once you, you know, if you're doing this every getting hit in the head every single day with stuff and it's just like, okay, you do need those kind of projects that, you know, I'll do that with my team every six months. Actually, that's probably a lie. Probably every month I have a new idea of something we should do. And they're like, you know what, you're crazy. But I'm like, well, I'm just kind of like with what we got going on here, I kind of want to change it up and I want to do this. And I kind of, you know, it has to be that way. Cause if not, it's like just doing the same thing over and over. Like I could never work like factory and doing the same thing every single day. Like I would just shoot myself or like cut my fingers off or something like it just, that would drive me nuts. Like I enjoy, so I love about marketing. There's always something new. There's always something interesting and kind of some cool stuff. So that's why I enjoy the space so much, but when conversion based stuff, I'm sure, you know, like I said, I mean, when you start getting those results and you start seeing some cool stuff now, when you start doing it for yourself, you're like, okay, now this is awesome. Cause you know, once again, well, and it's still cool doing it for clients and yeah. seeing what win, you know, always seeing the outcome, you know, we'll, we'll have big wins, you know, come through 20, 30, 50% improvements, you know, they come through once in a while and we're like, wow, or really surprised at the outcome or we all bet on that one thing would win and the yeah. other one. Yeah, yeah. We're still proven wrong, even though we're, that's, we test a lot of stuff, you know, it's, that's what keeps it interesting. But yeah, it's, it's a fun business that's ever changing, but at the same time, there's a lot of monotony to it that makes it kind of a revolving door a little bit. That makes sense. So what are some of your favorite um, like optimization tools, like conversion optimization tools? Like I know you guys like BWO was one I think that you had talked about using, but anyways, tell us about some of the tools that you guys like to use. Is there any tools that like your, are your favorites, I guess? Yeah. Hotjar is the heat map, click map, ah. polling kind of recording tool that we use. That's kind of our favorite. 
and then we use um, convert.com yeah. is our preference. Um, if we had to pick a split testing tool, um, we're certified with a bunch of them, yeah. but um, that's pound for pound, dollar for dollar. That's kind of going to give you your best bang for the buck. And that's it, really. We just, we don't reinvent the wheel. We don't yeah. like to overcomplicate it with a bunch of different softwares. We use Google Analytics. We use um, secondary analytics sometimes, but usually just heat map solution, the normal CRM and uh, a split testing tool and we just get to work. Nice, 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 nice. So what do you see, you know, do you see it, and obviously you've been doing this for a long time, you see any crazy changes in regards to like CRO in like 2020? So anything, maybe that's what I love about what you're talking about is that there's always new software, there's always new this, and you guys are really just kind of keeping it down to the basics, right? I mean, it comes down to the analytics, it comes down to conversions, A-B testing tools, and then you see like how this thing kind of comes out in the end. But is there anything you see different maybe in 2020 that maybe could change things? Like, is it voice? Is it, you know, anything interesting? I mean, yeah, voice is obviously prominent. Everybody's got a, a platform or whatever have you, voice recognition type thing. I mean, that's probably more your ballpark yeah, yeah. on the SEO side, yeah, yeah. really on the conversion. Yeah. But I'm seeing a lot more personalization creep in, mm. really siloing visitors and bucketing visitors. So as they come back, they get a different experience and just making it very a personalized experience, you know, calling you out by name. Amazon probably does it better than anybody right now where they're, you know, they show you what you frequently bought or they have a very smart engine that yeah. shows you, you know, recommend products and bundles and all of those things. So we're seeing a lot more personalization. There's a lot of talk still about AI, but I don't think it's there yet. Yeah. Still has got a way to go, a ways to go to get ultimately where it needs to be. But, you know, machine learning is obviously can do a lot of the heavy lifting that it once couldn't, but still there's that manual element to it because at the end of the day, we're dealing with people. Yeah. You know, that's everybody's buying target demographic. It's just people to people at the end of the day. So we got to understand their behaviors the best that we possibly can. And I think it takes that human element or that human touch to really monitor it. And really, I haven't seen a whole lot change in that regard yeah. in my entire career. Yeah. And I don't foresee it changing in the very near future, but I, I'm guessing it'll, you know, as machine learning gets smarter and, and allows us to do more things, you know, the software is going to get a lot more critical of the different elements that we're changing and, and making those manipulations based on those behaviors. But for now, I think it's just still a lot of more of the same and just leaning to more of a personal touch and, and making it a very unique experience for visitors because we're seeing too that we're seeing longer buying cycles. Mm. And we're seeing longer attribution windows rather than it used to be see the ad, click on ad, buy. see product, buy the product. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, I need to learn more about it. I need to go to Instagram and do the reviews. And yeah. in customers come back, it's like, there's, this is their seventh interaction with your website in the last five days. Or it's, you know, and they, they're seeing that. And we had a long discussion about this in a mastermind that I, I spoke at earlier this year too, is the attribution window. People just immediately race to the discount and try to give you a 10% or 15% off because, Hey, you forgot something in your cart. Yeah. It's like, no, I didn't. I just did not trust you yet. Yeah. Or I had some additional questions that you didn't answer. So we're leading that and opening it up to maybe instead of a two day or a one day buying attribution window, we're opening it up to a 30 day and educating and building that trust and rapport with the audience long-term rather than, you know, just going for the jugular right away and saying, Hey, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I think, you know, the things I think people get nervous after, you know, hey, if you don't convert them today, then you're going to lose them. So we got to give them the discount to hurry up and bring them in. And I do think depending on your product or service like that, it can be a longer process, right? I mean, once again, just especially these days with reviews and all that different things that tie into this, like people want to feel like they're educated on making that right decision. And once you go to the discount, it's hard to pull up from that nosedive. Well, you can't. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, 
what do you do? Just offer a deeper discount? You can't, you're not going to get yeah. a full price. Like I mean, at that point you've already blown it, right? Not blown it, but I mean, it's, you know, it's like at this point you're like, they're like, okay, we'll shoot after one day. I mean, for me, I'm a little bit evil. Like when it comes like, if you give me a 10% discount after one day, I'm just going to keep waiting. Cause I know you're going to hit me with a 15 and maybe a 20, yeah. like, right. Or, or, I mean, what I'm really bad at, and this is terrible, I'm going to admit this, but when I'm going to buy something and if you have a little thing that says coupon code, that means you, there's a coupon code on the internet. Oh God, I'll spend an hour to go save seven bucks just to like, you know, and which is most people don't do that. And you shouldn't do that. If you're listening to this podcast and you're young, don't do that. That's rude. That's not the way to do it, but that's what we do. The website honey just sold for whatever, 4 billion. That's a coupon code engine. It's yeah, crazy. <laughs> So it is, and it is really hard to pull up from that nosedive. And so what I've been doing with this new company of ours too, is I've been saying, okay, you can buy something, then I'll give you a discount off the second. The next one, for sure. Yeah, yeah, Or kind of doing that, but I've seen companies that'll be going in and they're like, oh, it's everything's 70% off and it's always 70% off. It's like, no, your prices are really bad. Yeah. And they're trying to make it up from volume, but anytime they waver from that big discount, they don't get any customers. And discount's going to bring in a crappy customer too. Yeah. So I've been trying to really just incentivize people like, hey, here's a free gift. Taking a page out of Dillard's or, you know, Macy's, you know, you go in and buy cologne and you get a free bag with purchase or yeah. whatever. And, you know, football phone type scenario yeah. from way back in the day. Yeah, we've done a lot of bundling. So we'll say, you know, hey, you wanted that discount. So great. Like we've had like fitness products or like ebooks and stuff. For obviously, there's no more cost for us to be able to give them one ebook or two ebooks. So we would bundle a lot of stuff too, right? So hey, you pay $20 for this, or we'll give you a 20% discount if you buy two, right? So now they're incentivized to, oh, hey, let me go and buy two. And it doesn't cost us any more money. It just, you know, it increases our, the cost that they're, that they're spending or the cost that they're, I guess, with the acquisition cost. Well, and if you bundle in something like a hat and a shirt, and complete the kind of outfit type scenario, you know, one of them is going to have a much higher margin yeah. than the other one. And it's going to make up any difference you have. Because if you get that up, if your cost per acquisition is 30 bucks and your first product's 30 bucks, you know, yeah, sure. That'd be great if I can acquire customers all day long for free. Then you get that other, and you move your average order value now is all of a sudden 57 bucks. Yeah. You know, that makes a big, big difference. So even if you're offering a 10% savings or what have you, with the exception of this time of year being you yeah. know, Black Friday, Cyber Crazy. Monday push where all the gloves come off and it doesn't matter if you discount, it's not going to hurt your brand. Yeah. <laughs> Just go all in. Just all in. Yeah. Who cares? So tell me a little bit. So you wrote a book, right? It was a conversion fanatics, like how to double your customer's sales and profits with AB testing. When did you write that book? Yeah. Just a few years ago, huh? I think I published it late 2015. Okay. So four years now, I guess. And I kind of wrote it from the standpoint of being timeless mm. because I've seen that, you know, it's like we've been talking about yeah. here is you know, that long, things haven't really changed. Yeah. You know, it's still the same buying habits. And I wrote it in a way that I didn't want to fluff anything up. I didn't, I read a lot of books and I, a lot of them are just fluffed yeah. up theory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it takes you forever to get through the book and you get three to four different nuggets out of it. But now I went through and just wanted to write it so you can flip to any page. And it's short, it's only 150 pages, but it took me over a year to write it because yeah. I wanted that aspect. I wanted it to be very straightforward and flip to any page and get some kind of actionable idea, whether you're a new to optimization or you're a seasoned veteran. And I've had great feedback from both sides of it. That's awesome, man. Well, congrats on that. I know that's kind of, uh, that's my goal in 2020 is to get a book, but I ran into the same thing. Like I'm big in the influencer space. So a lot of influencer type stuff, do a lot of speaking engagements, but you know, the hardest part is like I'm going to write a book, but it's like, I want to write something that's somewhat evergreen, right? An influencer. I don't want to talk about, you know, Instagram when, you know, Instagram could be gone in two years. Not really. It's probably not, but you get my point. Like, you know, write about something that is like this overall arching influence has been this from 
day one, you know, type situations. It's evolved a little bit, but these are the main concepts of it like, that hasn't changed right, in regards to whatever followers and stuff. So anyways, I'm kind of intrigued by that. I mean, I'll, I'll have to read your book. Sounds like if it's only 120 pages, that right down my alley. Anything over 151 pages is difficult for me, but 150 is the mark for me. Yeah, it's actually a very easy read. I did it because of that sheer fact that I wanted to write like how I read. Yeah. And I did it. So that's awesome, um, man. Easy read. Awesome. So cool. We're at, we're getting to the end of this thing. I have a question. So if you were, so you're going to be what, 39 you said? Or you are 39? I just turned 39. Just yeah. turned 39. So if you had a chance to go back in time and tell uh, Mr. 18-year-old Justin something, what would you tell him? What would be something that you would say, hey, dude, like this is like you went back in time. You went the Marty McFly route. You know, now you went back and you said, hey, this is what you got to like, probably get, don't get on that bull. Probably be the first thing that you say, but, huh. but I think, or maybe you would want to get on the bull. I don't know, but what would be some, is there anything you think that you like, Hey, you would tell yourself, Hey, you should do this differently or Hey, don't do this. Or, or you like the journey you've taken? Um, I don't have any regrets yeah. on anything that I've done. I would probably go back and probably tell myself to stick through those, some of those ideas. Mm. I gave up on some ideas when the going got tough, you know, early on that I probably should have. I basically had the a software that ended up now is, I think they just took a $150 million round of funding and are doing quite well with about 400 employees. So I had that software before they came out with that software um, and let it die. So just some of those, those aspects probably just like stick it out. I kind of bounced around the idea for a while. Yeah, no, I know how that goes. I mean, there's, you know, I hate that. I, I used to, when I still do is I write down ideas. And then what I would do is when somebody would go and do something, you know, and I, and I would go and show my wife and I'm like, yeah, I wrote that three years ago. And she goes, oh, that sounds good. You know, like, I wish I would have done something. I mean, there's always those. I'm, I'm like you, I don't really have any regrets. I think my path was my path and that's kind of the way that it goes. But there are a few things that, you know, that I would do a little differently. I think that would just, you know, little tweaks that you learn, you know, just through, through experience and through knowledge. So some of the things I want to talk about. So tell me about in regards to, because you have a very colorful background in regards to like just the different stuff that you've done. So who are three people that you would want to have dinner with if dead or alive? Like you, that would be what's going to be whoever, like, because you have like, you have the rodeo side of things you have. Anyways, there's a lot of interesting things. Is there three people that you would say, Hey, these are people I would love to have dinner with. I'd want to have one more dinner with my grandmother. Mm, for sure. My first one miss a lot of our conversations that we used to have mm -hmm. three people. I mean, is like any musicians, anybody like that? Or is there anybody like, you know, a, like a rodeo star? I mean, is there a somebody, a ex-president? Is there, you Not know? really. I mean, really? I meet so many cool people and I don't get really starstruck or mm. like, you know, I've met billionaires to to everything. And I think it's it's more personal than that. Yeah. You know, I've been fortunate enough to ask a lot of hard questions to a lot of top dog people and... um having lunch with guys worth $500 million and, and, and things like that from the business front. So, I mean, I can't really pick out three people. It, it would be, I mean, the only thing that really jumps out of my head would be my grandmother. Yeah. But, I mean, not even an ex-president because I mean, I'm not that political. I'm not yeah. any of those aspects. So, I mean, that's a tough one. Yeah. I don't think I can answer all three. Yeah. No worries. No worries at all. And then here goes my last question of the day, other than, well, I got one other question. Actually, it's alive. Two questions. So my last question or my second last question is going to be, if you had a hundred million dollars, no, let's say 10 million. I don't know why 100 million. 100 million is a lot. If I gave you a $10 million lottery ticket, what would you do with the money? Pay off my family's debt, both sides, parents, and then go into real estate with the rest of it. Nice. I do. Well, that's funny. So I do real estate. I do. I flip properties. So that's one of the okay. things. It's one of the, but that's, I jumped into it just in the last year or two because I used to do it a long time ago. So anyways, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, anyways, it's fun. I enjoy the hustle of it and getting deals and stuff. Kind of like marketing, but a little different. 
Yep. Well, cool, Justin. This has been awesome, man. I thank you so much for taking the time today. If anybody wants to get in contact with you through either social media or through your website, come on and give us some of the fun stuff. Yeah. So you can find me at conversionfanatics.com. Um, you can find me on social by going to clickso, C-L-Y-X-O.com slash Justin Christensen, all one word. has links to all my social channels, YouTube, all of those fun stuff. And uh, it's kind of my online business card. So you can find all the links in one place. All right, that's awesome. Well, good deal, Justin. Once again, man, thank you so much for taking the time today. You have an awesome rest of your day. And you guys, if you're listening to the podcast, don't forget to, if this is your first time, don't forget to download and also subscribe to it. And Justin, have an awesome day, my friend. All right, appreciate for having me on the show. All right.